You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Dr. James V. Hart. Um, he's the head of the, uh, well, the founder of the BioCybernaut Institute, spelled B-I-O-C-Y-B-E-R-N-A-U-T dot com. Um, so James, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? Oh, it's nice to be here with you. Yeah, well, what is a BioCybernaut? It's an interesting term. A BioCybernaut is to enter space. The same thing as an astronaut is to outer space. BioCybernaut uses the advanced technology, cybernetic technology, to go on an inner journey into their own mind, a journey of learning, growth, healing, transformation. Um, In one week, and we offer seven-day brainwave feedback trainings, people become less anxious. They become more creative, 50% increase in creativity. They become smarter. The IQ boost is 11.7 points, and that's stable a year out. And uh, there's also a big increase in emotional intelligence, or EQ. And that is actually more important to life success than IQ. So, yeah, a bio-cybernaut is to outer space what an astronaut is to outer space. How did you um, first figure out that this was possible or that it would do anything? What's the origin of this? Oh, that's a wonderful question, uh, founder's question. Um, well, it turns out that brainwaves were discovered by an Austrian psychiatrist named Herr Dr. Dr. Hans Berger in 1908 with very primitive technology. He discovered alpha waves, which aren't the fastest or the slowest, but they're the biggest brainwaves, and so easier to find with primitive technology. He kept it a secret for 10 years while he researched it, because he thought it was the basis of ESP. And then in 1918, he published, and it became a sensation. Brainwave recording spread all over the world. It was very useful in hospitals and medical settings, and people did a lot of research. But nobody ever had the idea to try to train brainwaves, because they thought they knew that this was impossible. But in 1962, a Japanese-American scientist named Joe Kamiya accidentally discovered that brainwaves could be voluntarily controlled. And this kicked off a frenzy of people wanting to study what they thought was electronic zen. But most of the people didn't know what they were doing, and they did it wrong, and most of the published studies showed that people could not learn to alter their alpha brainwaves. But I was a senior at Carnegie Institute of Technology, majoring in physics in the fall semester, And I came out of the student union 
to see a big hand-painted sign. Every letter was a different color. And it said, Dr. Joe Camilla will talk on brainwaves and consciousness. And gave a time that was just 10 minutes away and a building which was right to my left. And I didn't have a class, so I went. And I was fascinated. And so I met Dr. Camilla and arranged to uh, correspond with him and go visit him in the spring when I graduated. <clears throat> so in all my spare time, I went to the library and read everything I could about brainwaves. I became like an expert in brainwaves. Then in the spring, having graduated with a bachelor's degree in physics, I jumped on my Triumph motorcycle and rode up into Canada, took the Trans-Canadian Highway, rode across North America, and then down I-5 to San Francisco. I showed up at Joe Camilla's lab. I volunteered as a research subject, and I had three days of his alpha brainwave feedback training. It was the coolest thing I had ever done. Absolutely fascinating. And I wanted more. So on the fourth day, I went back, but they weren't doing any studies. And I was so disappointed. But Dr. Camilla's girlfriend, Joanne Gardner, worked in the lab, and I'd become friends with her. So I asked her if she would hook me up so I could play, which she did. She put me in the chamber, put a few electrodes on, started the equipment, and then left, went upstairs. Forgot I was there. Got involved in her work, and later when uh. lunch came, she went out to lunch with nine other people, and it wasn't until course 11 of a 12-course Chinese lunch when she went, oh, oh, my God. <clears throat> and she remembered there was somebody cooking in the chamber. So they all rushed back across town, ran into the building, ripped open the door, and interrupted the later stages of a most incredible adventure. When I went into that chamber, I was a Protestant fundamentalist, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and I was a physics major. I didn't know anything about altered states of consciousness, meditation, nothing. And yet there I was, out of body, flying around the universe, having ego disintegration, encountering beings that didn't have bodies, corporate entities, and this was a lot. And then the door is ripped open, and there's 10 people standing there, and they wanted to know what happened to me. <clears throat> and as I told them, one of them, Paul Gorman, who traveled in India the summer before, would say, oh, well, that's a meditation experience. Well, I didn't know many, anything about meditation. But for three days afterwards, I walked around. I was so high that my feet didn't touch the ground. I was so out of body. And I figured, well, this is pretty cool. I ought to go back to Pittsburgh, where I graduated, and register for a PhD program in psychology so I could get my rational mind stamped with some kind of seal of approval because I knew I'd be dealing with weird stuff. And so that's what well, I did. Quick question, uh, I jumped my motorcycle and went back to Pittsburgh and then worked on a PhD in psychology. Well, quick question. Did you use any hallucinogens or you were able to just with biofeedback have this like out-of-body experience? No drugs involved. In fact, I had never even been drunk, so I didn't even know what altered states were. Now, there is an opportunity here for me to teach that brainwaves rule. It's very simple to say. Brainwaves rule. Brainwaves rule. Well, it turns out that your brainwaves rule your entire life. Any experience that you have as a living human being, you can only have that experience when you have the right pattern of brainwaves. Now, if you take psychedelics or alcohol or marijuana or you fast, or you do drumming, or you do Sufi dancing, or you have sex, all of these things are going to change your brainwaves, and that's going to change your experiences. But this is going right to the source, changing the brainwaves directly. So you don't need the psychedelics, you don't need the drumming, you don't need the, the meditation, because you can get there a lot quicker with direct access to controlling your own brainwaves. 
So what, what's, um, what is, I don't know, how does this training work? Can you give like a few tips on, or, you know, talk about the experience itself? Like literally, what do you do to do the training? Well, let's compare it to, uh, say, Zen meditation. Zen meditation has been studied in Japan by Japanese scientists, and they find that uh, nobody is rated advanced by their Zen master until they have at least 21 years and sometimes up to 40 years. And so the Zen meditation over glacial time, 21 to 40 years, will allow you to change your brainwaves so that you can have the experiences of an advanced Zen. Well, brainwave training is a lot faster. We know that technology speeds things up. So the same subtle signal, the alpha waves, that the meditators are trying to tune into, and they reduce the noise. You know, they go to a quiet place, a, a temple, a cave, a forest, a zendo, and they sit and they meditate. They tune inwardly. Well, what we do with our technology, we know what the brainwaves are that we're looking for, so we reach in with the powerful technology, boost the tiny microvolt level signal about 100,000 times, so it's big enough to be read by our computers which then turn the amplitude of the brainwaves into the loudness of musical tone. And so people sit in these soundproof chambers listening to their brainwaves as flutes and oboes and clarinets and saxophones and organs. And so when the music gets louder, then that means that you're making more alpha. So whatever you're doing, you keep doing. Or maybe you stop doing something, like maybe you stop thinking, and so then the alpha can get bigger. And as you know, we've designed a protocol, seven days, about 12 to 14 hours a day. It's not all in the chamber. Some is debriefing time. Some is looking at your results. We actually show you your raw brainwave tracings. And uh, so it's a high-tech version, uh, a speeded-up version of a meditative process that typically, if you do it without the technology, takes 21 years to 40 years. Wow. And this can be done in, in how long a time period to experience results? Uh, our trainings are seven days, and we do three a month. I have training centers in Germany, in Canada, and in U.S. U.S. one is in uh, Sedona, Arizona, from where I'm speaking to you now. Well, literally, when you go in for training, like, what are you doing? What's actually happening to you? Well, uh, the first day, there's orientation. The brain is complex, so any meaningful feedback uh, system is also going to be complex. And you, we have orientation. We take you into the chamber and you know, play the tones for you and show you the scores. Every two minutes, the musical feedback tones shut down and you open your eyes for eight seconds and you look at scores that quantify the energy that you put out in different regions of your brain. And that way you can try a strategy, you know, strategy A and B. You try A and then you see what the scores are and then you try strategy B. And if the scores are better, then you shift to strategy B and then you keep evolving it. It's a process of constant feedback which allows you to adjust how your brain works. Let's say that you have a basketball in your hand and you're trying to throw it through a hoop. You throw it and you miss. Okay, well, then you get the basketball and you throw it again. And you use the feedback, well, you were to the left the first time, so you throw it a little to the right. Well, you overcorrected and went too far to the right. So with continual feedback, you get it to the point you throw the basketball and go through the hoop. Okay, but um, <clears throat> is the person seeing lights or hearing stuff or... Like, what is literally the experience of trying to change your brainwaves? What does it feel like? Maybe just a tiny sample. Okay. Uh, well, you have a number of questions there, sound, light, and what does it feel like? 
<clears throat> the feeling is that of flying. When you're in a high alpha state, the feeling is flying, floating, experience of lightness, the experience of light, and the experience of being in vast space. Vast space. Now, how do you get there? Well, you have to increase your alpha waves. And so you have the electrodes on your head carefully placed by the technicians, little gold disc electrodes, and uh, attached to the surface of your scalp. And uh, now you're plugged in. You're sitting in the chamber. Your brain waves are being amplified and processed by the computer. And whenever you make alpha waves, say, in the top left of your head, there's a particular tone that comes on. And the bigger the alpha waves get, the louder that tone gets. But let's say you also start making alpha waves at the back rear of left of your head. There's a different tone for that. Boom, 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 boom. It's an octave chord, and each tone is for a different place on the head. And some you hear as flutes and oboes. Other locations on the head you hear as clarinets and saxophones. And other activity is indicated by organ notes coming on. And so when you're making the sounds, you're listening to the sounds, moment by moment you're changing how you're listening, what you're thinking about, are you thinking, have you let go of thoughts? All of these things play into how loud the tones are, and your goal is to make them louder. Every two minutes, the, the, the sounds shut off, and the screen, the computer screen in front of you, lights up and shows you numerical scores. These scores quantify the energy that you put out at the different locations of the brain. There's also other scores, we call them hemicoherent scores, that indicate how well your left brain and your right brain are cooperating and coordinating and working together. And so if you uh, get, uh, well, and, the, and the scores are color-coded, if you went in the right direction, which in alpha enhancement is up, then the, the numbers in the scores will be blue. If you went up so far that you got a new high for the day anywhere on your head, then the score for that site will be green. Whereas if you went the wrong direction, the alpha went down anywhere, those scores will be in white numbers. And so if you're getting blues and greens for the scores, it's working, keep doing it, whatever you're doing. If most of the screen is white, try something really different because what you're doing isn't working. It's not possible. Are, 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 um, are people experiencing feelings or visions as they're doing this, or is it only when it's done that they experience calmness or more creativity, et cetera? Oh, no. In fact, at one point, I trained a group of Stanford Research Institute scientists, and they cleared their schedules, take a week off, and they actually solved problems in the alpha chamber when they raised their alpha that they had been unable to solve for up to two years. So when the alpha goes up, remember, brainwaves rule and so when alpha goes up, you become, in that instant, more creative. And so if you've got a problem, or two or ten, you're going to be able to efficiently and effectively and rapidly solve them in the higher alpha state. And we teach you how to raise your alpha. Okay, so, so people sometimes are, uh, will get into a certain state, and then they'll deliberately want to work on a problem, let's say, or maybe have a conversation or relive a memory, and they'll experience it differently. Like, once you <clears throat> change your state... And it sounds like you could change it in a couple different ways. What kinds of things have people done with it? Like you gave the example of solving problems, but what else, you know, do people ever do like counseling or therapy when they're in a certain state, for instance? Well, um, this is a very good question. And uh, one of the main processes at BioCybernet Alpha Trainings are forgiveness. We have a 14-step forgiveness method, which is designed so that you only do forgiveness 
in conditions of rising alpha, because that's the only time that it's effective. And so uh, a lot of the benefits, like the IQ boost of 11.7 points, a creativity increase of 50%, and the increase in emotional intelligence, which averages 15.8 points, all of these benefits are a consequence of raising your alpha. And one of the best tickets to raising your alpha is to do deep forgiveness work. Now, what I haven't told you yet is that when people first go into the chamber each day, they interact with a computerized mood scale program, which puts on the screen, one at a time, feeling words, emotional words, friendly, clear thinking, sleepy, unhappy, dizzy, and people rate how much they feel that in the moment. Later, they do it again after their alpha enhancement training, uh, where they describe how they felt in their moments of highest alpha. So we can tell you know, how the moods are shifting. But in addition, I wrote the computer program years ago, and the computer program, which is running while your brainwaves are being measured, is able to assess the accuracy of each answer that you give. So let's say the word was angry, and you put zero, meaning not at all. Well, the computer might go, well, I'm not so sure about that. And it will express its doubt in the accuracy of each answer in terms of signals. A one sigma or one standard deviation is a 68% chance your answer to that word is wrong. A two sigma is a 95% chance the answer is wrong. Three sigma is 99.7% chance the answer is wrong. And if you get more than three sigmas, you just might as well, and the trainer will ask you to admit what it is that you're angry about. Okay, well, this may lead to a few tears, and Kleenex are always, you know, close at hand. But then but how does in it the know? interview... How does it know that you're lying or not telling the truth? Well, it's not that. Uh, it's that you maybe have blocked this. It was meant that, uh, that experience could have been so painful that you uh, pushed it into your unconscious or you were doing forgetfulness on it. But by the interview with the trainer who brings this out then you can remember the anger and you can remember why you were angry. Maybe there was a person who lied to you or cheated you or stole from you or something like that. And then that person goes on your forgiveness list. And then when you're in the chamber, you actually use the uh, multi-step forgiveness method to forgive that person. And that's liberating and freeing and you feel lighter and happier and your alpha goes way up, which makes you more creative and more intelligent and with more emotional intelligence. What, um, I think you mentioned that when people are maybe feeling gratitude or forgiving someone, their alpha will naturally go up, you know, without being in the chamber, just like in life. Like, like what have you found modulates brainwaves in normal life, and how can you use that to help people? Well, Richard, uh, one of the there are some big modulators of alpha, big suppressors of alpha. They are onions, garlic, nicotine, caffeine, and alcohol. As little as one beer 24 hours ago will have you sitting with lower alpha the next day. And so, you know, people often suppress their creativity and their intelligence and their happiness by using garlic, onions, nicotine, caffeine, and alcohol. And so, you know, we ask people to withdraw from those at least a week before they come for their training. And, uh, you know, sometimes if you withdraw from a heavy caffeine habit, you can have headaches for a week or two. So, you know, that's going to impair your learning if you're dealing with caffeine withdrawal headaches. So, oh, you're saying but, caffeine was on that list too? I heard alcohol and nicotine, but is caffeine on there? Yeah. If you have caffeine, it'll suppress your alpha for about 15 hours. I thought that, uh, I don't know, coffee seemed to be the uh, the spice of creativity. It leads to lively conversations and debates. 
for like well, 500 years. Well, if people are like, sleep deprived, and many people are, you take a little caffeine and you'll be a little more awake. But mm. it ultimately, it's, your highest alpha is going to be when you have none of those. You know, okay. long ago, people drank uh, a beer because the water was not pure enough to drink. So everyone right. was kind of buzzed. Nowadays, a lot of people drink coffee, so instead of being, you know, slightly drunk, you know, they're slightly wired and agitated. And neither of these states are ideal for creativity or alpha. I mean, look at somebody on cocaine. They've got the talkies. They think that they're engaging in witty, brilliant conversations, but they're just having the cocaine talkies. And that also suppresses alpha. So if you're from New York, is your alpha permanently suppressed because you're always agitated <laughs> and wired? Well, you know... Uh, it, it, traditionally, meditators or would-be meditators have sought out more quiet settings, you know, the right. forest, cave, uh, you know, something like that. But so, you, you can you can do you can do this in New York if you have a biocybernet training center handy. Right, right. Yeah. What does the center look like? What does the chamber look like? Are you, I don't know, are you sitting in a chair in a room or something with a screen in front of you? Or like, what does it look like? Yeah, uh, chambers vary in size. The biggest ones we have are presently in my center in Germany, and uh, second biggest are in Canada. The smallest ones are here in Sedona. And uh, there's a small table in front of you that holds the keyboard and the monitor. So the keyboard is so you can fill out your more, you know your mood scales. The uh, computer monitor is to light up every two minutes for eight seconds, showing you your scores. And then on every side of you are the speakers that play the musical sounds that get louder when you make alpha bigger at each of the uh, head sites. Hmm. And so, you know, it's a fairly... What the people think really simple, but the technology behind it. Okay. Have you thought about, like, recreating a, a poor man's training, you know, using an app on a smartphone or... Is it really necessary for people to go to the centers themselves and use the chambers? Well, that's a very good question. Um, and uh, there are three things. When you understand the three things that are necessary to produce the results, the amazing results that we get, you, the answer will be obvious. The first thing is you need the patented ergonomic technology, the electronic technology that detects the brainwaves, filters them, and feeds them back. Second thing you need is the optimized and also patented training protocol. For example, we have people here at the training center for 10, 12, 14 hours a day for seven days in a row. You wouldn't get anything like these results if you came in you know, once a month for seven months or even once a week for seven weeks. It requires mass practice rather than distributed practice. And then the third pillar that produces these results is what we call the transformational perspective of the trainer. When you finish your session and you come out of the chamber, you go, after maybe a stop at the bathroom, you go to a room where we have canopied beds where you sit or lie, and then you and the other members of your group are interviewed. And the, Like when an astronaut comes back from a mission. They don't go out and have pizza. They are interviewed carefully and debriefed so that detail of what happens to them, what they experience, is noted. If you waited an hour or two or a day, you'd forget most of it. And so it's important at the end of each session to have a debriefing. Otherwise, your ego will take any new technique that you found that you know was cool and made you feel good, and it will cause you to forget it. And so this doesn't really work 
in a home setting. At some point soon, we will have portable units available to our graduates so they can do what we call tune-ups. We also offer tune-ups at the training center with a, with a coach, with a trainer, for people who, have, if you've done, say, the Alpha 1 and the Alpha 2, you can come back and do a one, two, three, or four-day tune-up on either Alpha 1 or Alpha 2. But it, it's not going to be very effective if you do it alone at home. Uh, and so, and I know, because I've tried different protocols over the years. Right. And so it's a, kind and, of a nice game. Oh, well, why can't I do this at home? Well, because it's not going to work very well. Right, right. Maybe one in a hundred persons is going to have a big benefit from trying this at home. So the sessions are how long? You said like ten to twelve hours. Well, the day, which includes you know when you first, the days are you know ten, twelve, fourteen hours long from the time you walk in the door in the morning to when you leave at night. Now you're not in the chamber all that time when you come in. If it's the first day, you may have uh, two or three hours of orientation, including going into the chamber where the tones are played and the scores are flashed on the screen and you're instructed, you know, in how it works. Uh, then you go back and you have your electrodes put on and there's a PowerPoint presentation and graphs are shown and you can ask questions. And then you go, you have your protein shake uh, for energy uh, with MCT oil and then off to the chamber where the first thing you do is your mood scales. Then you do some baselines, eyes open, eyes closed, white noise baseline. Then you practice lowering your alpha. We call that alpha suppression. Then you have a bathroom break. Then you practice raising your alpha. We call that alpha enhancement. After that, there's another mood scale. And if you're doing what we call the premium double training, you come out and have lunch, and then you go back in for a second session of alpha feedback. If it's that single, not the double, then you go directly you know, to the, to the interview room with the trainer. But if you're in the premium double, then you have a second session in the chamber. Then you go to the interview room, the canopied room, and you have the interview with the trainer. Then you have dinner. Then you go back to the conference room, and we have big computer monitors set into the table. We actually show you your raw brainwaves, the EEG tracings, and we also show you graphs of your performance. At that point, if you've been there maybe you know, 11, 12 hours, and we return watches and cell phones and Whatever time it is, we note that, and we add 11 hours, and that's when you come back the next day. So what's the, what is some of the feedback from people, day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, anything that stick out at you that uh, you know really were interesting to you or surprising that you heard from people? Well, Tony Robbins did the training with his wife, Bonnie Pearl, and another family member, and he said it was one of the most powerful things he's done in his life. And he's planning to come back for Alpha Two. Okay. Well, we've trained. I don't know. Trained, putting uh, it in well, more I, words, what else do people say? What do they say that? You know, what are, what do people commonly say? And then there are a few things people said that were not common. Couple examples. Uh, well, you know, that's cool. It's wonderful. I feel freer. I feel lighter. I feel happier. I actually feel joy in my life. I'm not worrying anymore. Uh, I'm not depressed. I'm happy. These are these are typical kinds of things. At one point, okay. we had, in Canada, a man in uh, two, December of 2008 did the training. He was the co-founder of a large natural resource company. With one partner, he'd grown the company from zero to $2 billion in just two years. He loved the training so much that he made $6 million available for scholarship funds. He sent people from his company. He said the ROI on a biocybernet training was 100 
That means return on investment. If he paid $20,000 for a training, the person that came back, he felt, was worth $2 million more to his company. He also paid for more than 200 Canadian aboriginals. In the U.S., we would call them Indians, uh, to go through the training. Because of the institutionalized racism and the, the residential schools that the aboriginal children were sent to, and many of them died there, they had signs in the schools, kill the Indian to save the man. And they actually meant kill the Indian culture, but a lot of the children died there. And so these people are traumatized as badly as returning war veterans, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so uh, this philanthropist sent over 200 Canadian Aboriginals through the BioCybernaut Alpha training in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. At one point, I was asked to speak at the United Nations in Geneva about this work. I trained prominent chiefs, uh, medicine men and women, uh, grandmothers, grandchildren. I mean, it was over 200 people. It was quite amazing. And I did a published paper called Reduction of Psychopathology in a Cohort of Male and Female Canadian Aboriginals. We gave them personality tests before and after their training, and there were profound reductions of anxiety and paranoia and schizophrenia and depression and increases of positive things like friendliness and vigor. And uh, so the results of the training are extremely powerful and beneficial. Okay, no, that's great. All right, so where, where are these uh, the centers where people can go and how can they find out more? What's the best way to get in contact? Well, uh, probably the easiest way is to go to the website, www.biocybernaut.com, and there's an 800 number, 855, you can call and uh, talk to somebody uh, and schedule training. But there's also on the website lots of scientific papers where you can read up. I've been publishing in this area for over 40 years. I'm a pioneer in the field, and I've learned how to do it well and right and most efficiently. And so... You know, go to www.biocybernaut.com, and uh, there's a, the 800 number there. You can talk to Kate O'Connor, who does our scheduling, and you can also use it as a library and read up on the science behind uh, the amazing results that we produce. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you for your wonderful questions and the opportunity to talk with you. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.